Eddie, Mike Kaplan, how you doing? I am doing well. Thank you. How are you? I mean, also, uh, you're asking me mid-pandemic, mid-protests yeah. uh, uh, oh, uprising yeah. around the country. So when I say I'm okay, the uh, the context for that is uh, is much you, you caught me off guard. I was like, I guess <laughs> in this moment, uh, you know, I'm I'm in my home. Uh, I'm that I'm grateful to have. I'm safe and healthy. I'm I live with my girlfriend who I love. I have loved ones around the the city, the country, the world who I'm in various amounts of touch with. And uh, there are many ways in which everything is not as okay as possible. Uh, and within all of that context, right now, I'm grateful to be talking with you. And so just wanted to, short answer, uh, needed to be longer, okay. Yeah, yeah, I get, I totally get it. Are you in New York City? Where are you at? I am, in, I'm in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn? Is it just pandemonium over there right now? I mean, I, there is pandemonium. Uh, of various kinds. I mean, some internal more than external. <laughs> so uh, not far from where I live, uh, like over the weekend and and variously uh, over the past week. Or I, it's hard to hard to keep track of time now. But there have been mm-hmm. some uh, protests nearby. Like I've seen many videos of uh, of you know not not my literal neighborhood, but you know less than a mile from it. Uh, mm-hmm. We heard my girlfriend and I heard sirens uh, all all nights, various uh, days over the weekend, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it is a time uh, that I'm I'm glad people are you know speaking up and if they feel safe, going and peacefully gathering and uh, and expressing uh, disdain, discomfort. Uh, unhappiness with uh, the unacceptable way that things have been. So, I, mm-hmm. and also within my my own personal uh, sphere of where I go, like I I don't I you know I leave my home to go on like walks uh, once in a while, and I go to the grocery store that's very near. But mostly, when if people are asking how's New York, uh, like my apartment is okay. <laughs> are there are you walking on the sidewalks or are there parks or where do you uh, I live near uh, Prospect Park, which is a pretty large park. So I'll, I, I'm like a block and a half from there. So I'll frequently just go up hmm. there and find a, a path that is not as well trodden as some other ones. So is that uh, yeah, kind of, mostly park walking. Is it kind of like a central park in Brooklyn or is it a lot smaller? Uh, I guess, I don't know. I'm, I believe that Central Park is bigger, but, uh, they're different, they're different shapes also. There's, it's certainly like you could walk in it for miles, uh, and it's, uh, and not have to retread the same ground. It's, uh, it's pretty big. Hmm. And you're from New Jersey, right? That is correct. Yeah. You're from Northside? Uh, I'm from the, the northern portion of New Jersey, but I grew up in the town of Livingston in Essex County, and then my folks and I moved to Bergen County, where my mom, or I went to high school, and my mom still lives in Allendale, New Jersey. You have to explain to me is that I don't really know my Jersey the geography too well. Is that all it's, north? It's, yeah, it's all like uh, I would say that all counts as northern New Jersey, uh, Allend, like the town 
Allendale and Upper Saddle River, where I lived before that, are uh, that one I think is on the border of Rockland County, New York. So right up as far as you can go in New Jersey for the most part. Okay. Um, so I have a kind of so why do people like why do people make fun of New Jersey so much? Because I'm from Seattle. I'm from the other coast, so I don't really get it. Are they comparing it to New York City, or why are they? Um, my understanding is also while we were just talking, I googled, uh, and it looks like acreage-wise, Prospect Park is about six acres fewer uh, than Central Park, so they're almost exactly the same size as it oh, turns wow. out. Um, but to answer your question about, I, I can't, I can't. It's funny. I, I talk a little bit about New Jersey and people's, uh, you know, jokes about it. Uh, and disdain for it, which I think is mostly, you know, just sort of like the same way that you, you might grow up like hearing blonde jokes and then you're like, wait, are, what, why are these the jokes? Like, it's just because mm-hmm. they always have been the jokes. Like, there's certainly nothing to blonde, like the color of your hair doesn't have anything to do with your intelligence level. The same way that mm-hmm. I guess living in New Jersey, perhaps like the, there are some like, factories, but not that it's the only place that has factories, but for whatever reason, the stereotype of New Jersey being like highways and factories, uh, <laughs> like, and it's called the Garden State, so perhaps the irony there, but uh, it doesn't, it doesn't make, uh, I don't know, it does, the answer is, I don't know, and it doesn't make sense. Is it, yeah, is it kind of like a Florida of the Northeast, almost? You know how everybody... Uh, it, you uh, the a great question. I mean, uh, it is in that people make fun of Florida and people make fun of New Jersey. Uh, interestingly, I think uh, I think this is interesting to me. Uh, I grew up living in New Jersey, knowing that there were jokes about New Jersey, but we're like, ah, hey, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, like they're kind of like yo mama jokes, which aren't my mm-hmm. favorite for the most part. But it's like, oh, it's my mama. I I live in New Jersey is my thing. Sure. Like, I mean, I knew what my own experience was like. And it, that it wasn't, uh, but like, you know, there's so many people uh, who grow up places that they don't love. And I'm like, this is fine. I'm, I'm fine. I mean, my, my individual mm-hmm. circumstances may have differed from other people, but I'm sure there's people who grew up un, unhappy in Seattle and there's people who grew up mm-hmm. happy in New Jersey and vice versa. But the, the quote unquote interesting thing is uh, my family, we had uh, my grandmother uh, eventually would live in Florida and she had a brother who lived down there. So I had a lot of family, like cousins, a lot of cousins and uncle aunt type folks who lived in Florida in the Miami area when I was growing up and hmm. still. And uh, so we would go down there to visit my, my family and I from the North. Uh, and so we'd hang out in Florida for like, you know, winter break uh, and there's like different, different times, a few times a year we'd stay with our family. And so like, I love Florida and I, I legit didn't know that people like made fun of Florida in the way that people mm-hmm. do now, like until I was an adult, like to me, Florida was like, ah, that's where old people go. That's the only stereotype yeah. I knew about Florida, which also seemed to be, you know, at least that much somewhat based in the reality that I'm like, oh yeah, my, my grandmother moved there. Like uh, these other people in my family moved there. A lot of people's mm-hmm. families, you know, I don't know what the numbers are, but uh, yeah. So I guess sometimes like this, maybe it's the same way that uh, like humans have a negativity bias which is something that has like evolutionarily kept us alive. Cause if you're like suspicious of something that you're not familiar, uh, to the place I belong. 
West Virginia, Mountain Mama. Hey, Mike. Yes. Sorry. Sorry, you got. Oh, sorry, you're good. Keep going. You got. You got cut off. Oh yeah. For oh, a just that. My bad. Sorry. Oh yeah. You're. You're good. You can. You can hear me. Yeah, it's we're good. Recording, etc. Uh, I was just saying, I think in Seattle, my guess is that there's probably parts of town or suburbs or areas of the county or city or whatever where, like, certain parts of town are known for certain things. Like, ah, if you're, you know, that part of town is, like, maybe it's based on class. Maybe it's based on just assumptions. Maybe it's based on, like, the way it used to be. Like, people are like, ah, Brooklyn, dangerous. Or maybe maybe it was at one point a different kind of thing. Or maybe that just is code for like, oh, is that where people who don't look like me live? And I'm afraid of them for uh, less rational reasons. So I think it's all it's all based in uh, some kind of like fear based in ignorance. Uh, that is, so I guess that that's where jokes about New Jersey come from. I have an answer is ignorance. That is kind of funny that a lot of people, like you're saying, move from New Jersey and then they retire in Florida. So they're kind of maybe they relate to each other. They're kind of connected in a way. Uh, yeah, I, it could be. I think that people do it. I mean, Florida is like a pretty big destination for retirees from not just New Jersey, I think. Oh, yeah. But uh, I do know, I guess maybe on the West Coast, people are likelier to go to Phoenix, the, the mm-hmm. Florida of the West. Who can say? I'm yeah. now. Uh, I can speculate all day if that's what you'd like me to do, but uh, I've reached the limits of my knowledge. Yeah, yeah. I have another, all right, one more Jersey question for you. Um, what, do sure. you what do Jersey people think about the Jersey Shore, uh, like the show? Because I love that TV show personally. It's one of my favorites. Uh, you know, I, I have a sort of a roller coaster of an experience with Jersey Shore. <laughs> like, I... I don't watch a lot of reality TV. It doesn't mean that, I mean, a lot of everything isn't worth watching, whether it's, you know, like there's a lot of books that aren't worth reading, a lot of podcasts that aren't worth listening to, a lot of music. Like I I like, I love to focus more on the things that like are, there's so much that is valuable as well. There's so much Mm -hmm. that, you know, speaks to all different kinds of tastes and desires and motivations and expectations. And so just personally speaking, like I, you know, I don't watch a lot of reality TV. I have enjoyed when I have watched uh, various shows, but also we have limited time. And so the, the shows that I choose to, I, I choose to watch specific shows, but when Jersey Shore came out, like initially I was like, yeah, that's, that's not, not the kind, not the kind of show, not a show that I think I'm going to watch, but then mm-hmm. people who, uh, who I like cared about, loved, respected the opinions of like, uh, smart comedian friends, like the, people started watching it, and uh, I don't know if you know, but it uh, it caught on. A lot of people liked it, and so <laughs> oh, yeah. because uh, people were enjoying it so much and talking about it so much, that got me curious. And as sort of you know, I I watched it initially as a sociological uh, you know inquiry to be like, oh, what what is it? Is it? And I definitely I didn't watch all of it, but I did understand why it was enjoyable. I did enjoy watching it. Uh, I now, like, you know, I haven't, I certainly haven't kept up with it, with the characters, with the, the humans that uh, mm-hmm. it is about. Um, but uh, so to answer your question specifically, as far as how New Jersey people perceive it, like, I can mm-hmm. only speak for myself that, uh, like, I think, I mean, I know that the Jersey, the Jersey Shore is only one part of New Jersey and that the, and that there are all different kinds of people who live in New Jersey and who live in any type of place, except for perhaps, you know, the smallest, uh, the smallest 
hut in in a mm-hmm. uh, indigenous uh, area that is untouched by you know the outside world uh, moving in. But uh, I guess I would say yeah, I that it doesn't doesn't matter to me. Like I mean, I feel like the same kind of question arose, or maybe a, a similar question when when the Sopranos came out. Or the yeah, I think that's I'm saying that right, mm-hmm. uh, and you know that was also took place in New Jersey and was about a a group of Italian people and uh, certainly I, I I think there were I feel like I heard that there were some people who were like uh, Italian and or like connected with you know uh, I don't want to I don't think I, I'm trying to now remember and like disclaim on the fly of like you know where mm-hmm. did I hear this what did I hear but like that there was legitimacy offered to it by like people like I'm, I don't have any access to directly to like I'm like I, I actually was talking with a mafia boss friend of mine and he was <laughs> saying that the uh, they got a lot right on the Sopranos and I feel yeah. like there are some people who might have been I do remember this about the Jersey Shore I remember reading like that some Italians like so not even not New Jersey but some Italian people were offended by the way that Italians were being portrayed on the Jersey Shore mm-hmm. and I remember thinking like but those are those are people. Those are, that's not even, it's not like a scripted show. I mean, obviously some, there is scripting that goes into a reality show, but they didn't invent those people. Uh, mm-hmm. They were, they were perhaps caricatures of the real lives of these people. But uh, I thought that was funny that they were like, mm-hmm. Hey, don't, don't show people those Italian people. Uh, and perhaps there was some of that also when the Browns came out, be like, Hey, but like the, I, I feel like that stereotypes are dangerous in general uh because they there are so many like even if even if something is true of some people and you're like well then there's definitely a reason for the stereotype like there could be i I think there's probably more italian people who are not criminals uh i I bet that italians are not criminals uh on like a larger scale like i i don't think that there's disproportionately uh, like you also hear about all kinds of things like there's Jewish gangsters and there's the hmm. Russian mob and there's like, like people in a in society like in capitalism in the world there are while there is a legal system there are people who uh, break laws and uh, and they and all kinds of people can do it so Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's getting a little farther afield from your question, but uh, I was fine with it, and probably other people uh, were were mad, but uh, but who knows? Yeah. Wait. So back to all right. Well, I'm just so interested in New Jersey for some oh, reason, sure. but um, I don't know why. It's because I love Jersey Shore. But uh, do you think they're playing? Like, do you think they're aware of their characters? Are they playing it up, or do you think they're just like that crazy? Because you've watched the show a little bit, so. Uh, I did. I mean, my guess, based on, I think I, I remember where I used to watch Jerry Springer once in a while, maybe when I was in college, mm-hmm. and I remember reading something about how when you'd go on Jerry Springer, like, you know, there would be people throwing chairs and yelling at each other, and it seemed like chaos, but I think they were all being paid to be there, and or they, like, wanted to be, they didn't have, they didn't have to be there, they were choosing to be there. Mm-hmm. And so I, I remember like there being discussions about what happened backstage and I was like, Oh yeah, you're going to come out and then they're going to come out and then you're going to have this fight. And like, it wasn't like, <laughs> you know, you got into an argument with your, your uncle and then you're like immediately on TV right now. It could have been like days, yeah, yeah. weeks, months later. And so like, even if you were angry at one point, you're now in some way hyping it up 
manufacturing it, amplifying it for entertainment value. So I do think that, especially, and so similarly with reality shows like the Jersey Shore, I'm sure that people want, uh, they're on TV because they want to be on TV, uh, unless it's a hidden camera show. And so, mm-hmm. for sure, I I imagine like, I'm I'm sure that also producers were probably manipulative, and like, if there are situations where they're like, hey, everybody's drinking, have some more drinks, and who knows what's going to mm-hmm. happen. Uh, so I don't know that every decision, every word and deed uh, expressed by the characters, by those people, uh, if they afterwards were like, yeah, that was the that was my best self, and I would choose to do it, but <laughs> certainly. Uh, I'm I'm sure that they were all at a point, oh, and for most of it, probably aware of, uh, you know, who they were, what they wanted to do, what their perceptions of them might be, and uh, and that they were, you know, like the kind of no publicity is bad publicity is like, well, if you're talking about me, then in one way I am winning. They like they're winning this podcast right now. By <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, well, I. They're one I can't stop thinking, and I know you're a Jersey guy, so I figure all Jersey people want to talk about them, but probably not. But um, I feel like you're a Vinny guy. Is Vinny your favorite? Oh, I definitely can't say that I have a favorite. <laughs> okay, I love okay. them all equally. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, of course. Um, all right, so you went to college in Boston. Let's just talk about that for a sec, then I'll get, get let you go. And um. So I, I want to know how does Boston's economy work? Because is, is everybody like a college student or a professor there? Uh, that is an interesting question. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. The answer I think is no. Uh, <laughs> my understanding, uh, these numbers might be off, but when I was there, I heard that during the school year, there were about a million people in like the Boston area, whether that's the city proper, like you know, including. Uh, the surrounding like, sort of metropolitan area. It's like a million-ish people. And my understanding was that around a quarter of that was college students. So college hmm. students are like plentiful in Boston, that is for sure. Um, hmm. But there's that still three quarters of a million people who, I, for if there's a quarter million college students, you, you have probably way fewer college professors. So yeah, of course, uh, for sure. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how many, you know, even if it's like one one professor for every 10 students that it couldn't be that, but it's certainly not one, even one-to-one. So it's like, no, no, uh, the vast majority of people who live in the Boston area, uh, are not students or professors. <laughs> is, uh, is my, based on those numbers, I think that makes sense to say, I mean, also what? like mm-hmm. you're saying, you know, of course there, there are maybe like, certainly more colleges in that area than a lot of other areas. Uh, but also, you know, if while while we're while we're basing, uh, let's say, our understanding of places on uh, <laughs> both things that we have like read, seen, learned, experienced, as well as like the media, like pop culture, to get into, like there's a there's a whole aspect of Boston as like portrayed in Goodwill Hunting, which you know does mm-hmm. take place at a college for some, but also in Southie, South Boston, you know, like there's yeah. Uh, additionally, like uh, a whole, you know, there's there are blue collar workers in Boston. There are white collar workers. If while we're mm-hmm. categorizing, uh, so I would say uh, there's, you know, it's it's like any city. I would say. I bet it's like. I wonder, you know, what Seattle's, you know, 
breakdown yeah. is as far as students, not students. And uh, yeah. and what is the economy? I, I would my guess is I think that I, I know that Portland is also a city of around a million people, and is Seattle like a little more than that? Yeah, Seattle's a little bigger. Yep. Uh, so, but either way, it's like you know within a, a low single digit ish uh, like number of millions of people. So probably the cities operate. I, I bet that Boston operates very similarly to how Seattle does, but uh, maybe mm-hmm. with uh, more. I admit, it's probably maybe smaller. I guess I don't know. There's like yeah. only a few. Like compared to New York, it is certainly geographically uh, or population certainly population wise smaller. There's like in New York, I don't know how many subway lines there are. In Boston, there's four. There's just mm. like it's called the T, and it's shaped like a T. And there's like you know one goes from top to bottom, and the other goes. They just kind of all go through the middle, uh, hmm. and it's like a little 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 sign, little little asterisk, little plus sign, or a couple mm-hmm. plus signs. Uh, so yeah, but I mean, it's like, like New York city where I live now, it's got, you know, in a theater district, you know, uh, it's got, you know, a music scene, a comedy scene, like compared to some towns that I go to might have like one big comedy club and that's it. Whereas Boston had like maybe one big one, but also like now theaters and where where people come like sort of from like the the national headliners come in and then there's like Hmm. smaller stand-up rooms and improv theaters and like like clubs of varying sizes. Like I know the most about how the stand-up, the comedy economy uh, oh, yeah. has worked, at least worked when I was there, than the whole of the economy. But I'm sure that like similarly, like this comedy scene in Boston, sort of like a microcosm, a much smaller version of the comedy scene in New York City. Like New York is just like, you know, like just miles uh, bigger or deeper or wider or whatever it is, but uh, but yeah, I think that I think that Boston is like uh, of the cities that aren't New York or L.A. Let's say certainly mm-hmm. comedy-wise, I feel like Boston and Chicago, Minneapolis, Austin, Atlanta, Seattle, San Francisco, Portland, like you know, all of these towns have like maybe you know a couple comedy clubs, uh, a, a vibrant enough scene that can support however many comedians are there before they potentially might move to a larger city like New York or LA. And so my understanding uh, would be that the all different kinds of arts communities, like in Boston, there's also, you know, like burlesque dancers and uh, obviously musicians and uh, like different, different kinds of, you know, like I'm sure there's like roller derby and like things that I don't know about. Um, So there's, uh, that's my, my guess is that Boston is full of things that I don't know about in addition to the things that I do. But yes, also there, you know, the comedy club that I started at, the comedy studio was for 20 years right across the street from Harvard University. And so uh, I was, I was accustomed to performing uh, for like audiences full of people who were used to sitting down and raising their hand when I was in that part of town. And then uh, for people, you know, getting into uh I think, I feel like a friend of mine has a joke about I think I think it's my friend Ken Reed from Boston who had a joke about like where the the big comedy connection was like the big club in the downtown like touristy area uh when we started out and that it was just sort of like you know Jason Bourne type guys getting into fights or or you know goodwill mm-hmm. hunting fighting each other yeah. outside so uh I would say that that is that is that is what the economy of Boston is like, like the economy of many small small big cities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you won funniest student. I, I was looking at your Wikipedia. 
and you won Funniest Student Contest 2005, Boston University, right? Yes. So you were like the class clown for, I'm sure people have made that joke before. You were the class clown uh, in college? I would say, well, by that point, I was already like pursuing comedy professionally. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I wasn't, I was pursuing it. I hadn't uh, arrived at it yet. I, I probably, I started really doing comedy most every night of the week uh, in 2002. And so in 2005, I'd been, you know, going out to open mics and getting paid to do comedy some. I wasn't making my living from it, but I was getting paid like on uh, some weekends to do comedy shows. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, I was in grad school. So I was now, you know, 27 years old in 26, mm-hmm. 27 in 2005. And everyone else in the competition, uh, were most of them were not professional comedians or were not even aspiring to be professional comedians. A lot of them were just performing for the first time on a whim at this competition. So the oh. joke that I tell about it, I say that when I won BU's Funniest Student Competition, I was officially, like, uh, out of 32,000 people, the funniest of the 11 that were in the contest. So <laughs> that <Yeah>. is, <laughs> so I would say, I mean, I definitely became more funny as a comedian and in my life uh, as I, as I, you know, gained experience both in comedy and life. Uh, so I guess mm. I, I don't think, I think the, whether the question of whether I was the class clown, certainly I wasn't the only person funny or the only person making jokes. Like actually, when I started doing comedy, one of my when I when I decided that I wanted to to do it, I was going to perform at a comedy club. I was actually pursuing music at the time, but I told like my my roommates, my friends, I was pursuing comedy, uh, and my friend Dave, who like, we had just like the same bunch of friends, like all through we lived together all through college. And there was like, mm-hmm. you know, four to six of us that like hung out all the time. And I was like, I'm going to do comedy. And I remember Dave being like, why, why are you doing comedy? We're all <laughs> funny. Oh, uh, yeah. I was like, well, we should all do comedy then, you know? So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I would say it's not, you know, it's not, you don't have to be quote unquote special. You don't have to be, you don't have to even be especially funny to start doing comedy. In fact, most people who start doing comedy aren't in the grand scheme of things, you know, in the largest mm-hmm. pond of comedy uh, at large, uh, most people aren't uh, especially funny at all when you start because yeah. you're just starting. Yeah. Did your friend ever do comedy? He did not. Though a few oh, years okay. later, he did come to a show and he did say that I was funny now. So that I appreciate oh, that. Nice. That's good. Uh, is it tough being, because you're like a smart, you're a very smart man. Um, is it tough being a, comedian because like I feel like you're smarter than the audience or does that make it tougher to connect or does that make it easier to connect because then because then you know how to relate because you're smart enough well I appreciate what you're saying I I think that (laughs) most comedians are smart Uh, even if oh yes I think that like the and that there's a like smart means a lot of different things like sometimes smart means you're good at math sometimes smart means you're like there's you know there's physical intelligence there's emotional intelligence there's you know intrapersonal interpersonal like self-discovering intelligence there's uh you know i feel like there's there's been research and studies of all these different types of intelligence Mm -hmm. uh and so i think that being good i mean being good at math like sometimes they the people are like oh math and music have connections because like you know if you're playing music sometimes music 
operates on certain rhythmic principles that are mathematical. So that makes mm. sense. Uh, but and and comedy also can be like there are rhythms to it as well. And like some some kinds of comedy like might be uh, more like mathematical than others. There might be joke formulas or there could be sort of like, you know, equations of like, oh, if I say this then the audience thinks this and then I say this. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would say not every comedian is smart in that way necessarily. Not every person is as smart in that way. And there's certainly people who are smarter than me in that and always. But ultimately, I think everyone, every comedian, every artist, every musician like who gets good does so because they put in the, the time, the work, the effort uh, to to practice, to become uh, the best version of themselves. Like the, the, I think that everyone has the capacity to be a genius at their thing, to be, you know, like you are capable of doing things and being a, a person, a creator, an artist, a worker, uh, whatever you want to be, like you can be m- your version of that more than anyone else because you're the only one who is you. And mm-hmm. to answer the question in another way, like imagine asking like, it, it's not, not that a comedian is the same thing as a professor, but like imagine if you went to a professor and said like, now professor, you know a lot more than your students. Do you find that that makes it harder for you to connect with them? And <laughs> there, the question makes sense on one level, like because I, for, I just learned about this concept uh, from a comedian named Jake Flores, who knew up until this point more than me on this level and still probably does because I don't even remember where he learned this from or exactly uh, what, the, what the context was. But we were talking about on his podcast called Why You Mad or Why So Mad. Oh, I should, I should look up. I think it's Why You Mad. Uh, why you mad? It is. Um, mm-hmm. Jake Flores and Luisa Diaz have a podcast where they talk about things uh, that are maddening. And mm-hmm. he brought up the concept of things being slightly novel. And that's what helps us learn. Like, so you, if you want to teach, you know, if you want a three-year-old to grow up and learn how to do complex math, uh, you don't teach them calculus when they're three, probably. You teach mm-hmm. because they would not know how to follow it or pay attention. It would be boring. It wouldn't make sense. Uh, and so the point is you teach someone like, you know, you figure out what they know, where they're at, and then you offer them something that is slightly novel and be like, oh, this mm-hmm. is interesting. Like based on what I know, now I have this new information, this new tool, this new practice or whatever it is. And like, oh, and then, then through that, like, you know, I play, I, I play, I've learned how to play a few instruments. And so mm-hmm. I played violin initially. And then when I started taking, taking up the guitar on my own, I was like, well, this is like, it's different, but it's only slightly different. So I was able to teach myself like, and then practice and learn things and go, Oh, now I know how to play the guitar at least a little bit. Um, And so similarly, you know, like that's what you want. That's what any teacher, I assume if a teacher wants students to learn, they, you have to start from where they are and then help them take as, you know, whatever bite-sized steps to mix metaphors uh, that they can until like, okay, now I can chew on this. Now I can chew on that. And eventually like through a series of, you know, steps that are like slightly novel each, each step of the way, uh, eventually, you know, a lot of stuff that you didn't know before. And so I think the analogy to that in comedy is like, even let's just say in a specific joke, like I might have an idea for a joke that I have a lot of the information in my head. I'm like, Ooh, I know where I want it to end. And I know where I want it to start, but it takes me like interacting with an audience to learn how to get from the beginning to the ending, to know like 
maybe there are some things that an audience like maybe some things that I assume an audience knows, like a specific term or a specific cultural event. Uh, like I had one joke that I used to tell about the Wright brothers, and it was important that the audience have in their mind that the Wright brothers invented the airplane. And yeah. I think that most people know, and most people, if you grew up in America, at least I, I think, and I don't know this, but it seems to me that most people have heard of the Wright brothers and would be like, oh yeah, they invented the airplane, however yeah. true that is. Uh, I'm sure yeah. that there was probably, I'm sure the the airplane was probably really invented by a black woman. Um, but, yeah. And that's the, the Wright brothers uh, stole it, like the the movie uh, Hidden Figures, I believe, uh, which mm-hmm. uh, had, uh, was about the true story of you know these women of color at, uh, at NASA, I think, uh, yeah. who were doing lots of work that uh, we didn't know about until the movie came out, or that lots of other yeah. people did know about, but it wasn't. I I wasn't taught it in school. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So, but the idea of as a comedian, like you when you're starting out you don't know anything about being a comedian yet you're still kind of like the professor you're you're the yeah. one doing the presentation at least they're like come to the stage this comedian and you're like all right everyone here are the jokes and they're like where we don't actually even understand so <laughs> i think that it's possible i do think that it's possible that being a like a certain kind of good student like i was could have like didn't serve me initially uh, because I was like, okay, well, there's answers to these questions. You know, I, I was thinking of it more, more mathematically probably when I was starting than I might have, or that I ought have, or that I would eventually come to understand, uh, you know, a better way for me to be, because I was, I was sort of like a joke scientist and being like, okay, I'll say this thing. And they don't laugh at that. Okay. I'll say this thing. They laugh a little at that. Okay. And, uh, and so I do think that in some ways it did, it did serve because I, I was like meticulous. I would record all my sets. I would listen back. I would edit. I would, and then like through that process, I would learn uh, to get better. Though I think in the beginning I was more like some, com- some comedians like, you know, write something down and then say it exactly like that. And that's it. It's like a symphony. Yeah. And some comedians are, like in the moment and they're riffing and improvising and, uh, and some do, it's like a spectrum, but that's sort of like, you know, more like a jazz virtuoso. And in the beginning I was more like, I was like, I'm going to write a symphony. And it wasn't like the greatest symphony at all. I'm going to write a bad symphony. I didn't know that, but (laughs) like, here is, here's my symphony. Oh, you're not responding to it the way that I want to. Okay. Let me change some of the notes in the symphony. Let me change some of the jokes. Let me change some of the parts. And, uh, and eventually I would come to the, you know, to write a little bit on stage and now be very, very comfortable being in the moment as well. And that sometimes I'll write off stage and I'll write on stage, but uh, it took learning a different kind of intelligence than uh, just like the intelligence that served me in a math classroom uh, to, to get better at like understanding what, understanding who I was to become a better version of the comedian that I was and to uh, connect. I, so I think that certain types of intelligence, like some comedians probably have like the, the charismatic, like, you know, inter, interpersonal, yeah, interpersonal intelligence mm-hmm. that helps people like, you know, there might be comedians who started out with like hardly any jokes at all, but like they did well because they were likable and they were funny, uh, like, cause not all funny, like involves necessarily even telling jokes per se. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, I would say that I started from a place where 
uh, I was like, all right, man, but now class, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm like a student that got put in charge of the class. So let's <laughs> do our homework. I've got these assignments for us. My assignment is to figure out what the assignments are and yours is to hopefully not be bored and yell at me. So yeah. let's work together on this. I hope that answers your question. Yeah. yeah. Uh, do you think, do you think comedians should be likable or like, do you think most popular comedians are likable or some are more villainous or what do you think about that? I mean, for sure. Uh, good question based on the fact that I did bring up likability. So mm-hmm. I, I <laughs> like a, a legal proceedings and the judges like, yep, he opened the door to that one. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll give you some, some latitude counselor, but uh, make sure that it's relevant. Um, yeah, yeah. I think, I don't think there are any quote unquote shoulds. I mean, if, if I had to make a list of shoulds in comedy, it's like you should create your own material or yeah. pay somebody who wants to sell their material to you. But for the most part, you're like, that's the rule. The rule and there, you should stick to the amount of time that you're given. If you're told to do five minutes at an open mic, then probably it's practical to not go over that or you won't get invited back. It's also kind to the other people. But as far as mm-hmm. what material you're doing, as far as if you're creating your own material and you're sticking to your time, then you can do whatever you want. Like, certainly, I'm sure either of us could come up with a number of, like, villainous characters, you know, like, not, you know, like, nice mm-hmm. people who are pretending to be mean on stage, like like an Anthony Chesselman, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes comedy is about, like, he is, pre- he is like, you know, I would say a symphony composer, you know, and mm-hmm. the the palette that he's painting with, he's a composer and a painter, is like these these dark hues, like, and... An important part of it is that we, I think we can know and understand that he is, I think he is also, you know, he is maybe meta likable. You know what I mean? Like if you like him, like if you like his jokes, like he's, he's kind of in, he's endearing. And like, if you don't like him, maybe you're like, he's smarmy. But if you like him, you're like, he's charming. You know, he's, Mm -hmm. he's like, he's got a devilish grin, you know, and attitude (laughs) and vibe. And so uh, but I think there are definitely like, you know, everyone has different tastes and flavors. It'd be like asking a chef, be like, should everything that you make like taste, you know, the same good to everyone? And it doesn't, yeah. at a certain point, the question doesn't even make any sense. What a person, if I was going to yeah. say what a comedian should do is they should be themselves and do whatever is the truest to themselves. Yeah. Okay. For some people, right. that'll come out as likable. For other people it'll come out as less likable. But also, again, if anyone is able to like you, then you are likable, you know? It's not really? like, I mean, that's what really? likable means, able to be liked. So okay. if anyone yeah, yeah. liked you, then you are likable. Um, okay. And the question of like, oh, are you likable by the majority? Like for most comedians, I think, it, like most comedians aren't the most famous comedians. Like, you know, not oh, yeah. everyone is, Kevin Hart. Not everyone is uh, Paula Poundstone or Ellen or Sarah mm-hmm. Silverman or Chappelle or Seinfeld, you know, uh, mm-hmm. not every, most comedians are not those people. And so most comedians are, you know, I, I, when you're starting out, you might have the desire to be like, well, I got to perform for everyone. So I want, I want to be invited back. I want audiences to like me, but at the mid level, like when, once you've been doing comedy for a few years, several, however many years, like, I've been doing comedy mm. for about 18 years. And so mm. for anyone who's been doing comedy, like my amount of time, plus or minus, let's say 10 years, uh, mm. anywhere from eight to 28 years into comedy, I think the goal is to be yourself 
and and present that to audiences and try to find your audience. Like that's what a lot of people are doing these days who my, my mother, you know, my mother's only heard of the most famous comedians and me and the people that I introduce her to. But, uh, but for all of the comedians that are like successfully making a living uh, with successful podcasts, with successful web series, touring, you know, working uh, at clubs, colleges, indie venues, theaters, like, you know, before, before, <laughs> before I became a comedian, uh, I didn't know who Brian Regan was. My mom didn't know who mm. Brian Regan was. Now my mom only knows who Brian Regan is because I told her. And also because she mm. saw Dennis Regan, Brian's brother, perform on a cruise. So to my mom, Dennis mm. Regan is in a way more famous than Brian Regan because <laughs> she has seen him. And she's like, oh, Brian Regan, that's uh, Dennis Regan's brother. Perfect. And yeah. uh, so with respect to all that, like the goal is to be is to be yourself in a way that is, you know, creatively like what you want to do and then hopefully attractive to audiences like I'm trying to do it without like it mm-hmm. to be enjoyed like you know you don't like the idea of I understand the the word likable so the, the answer to your yeah. question as you intended it not the letter of the law but the spirit of it is no mm. comedians do not have to be likable they have they they don't have to do anything but they get to ideally be themselves and their their selves their truest selves of doing and being can be can fall anywhere on the spectrum of quote unquote likability. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I mean, I I'm happy to have talked about everything that we did. Uh, I guess I would just tell people if they want to hear my comedy. Uh, my newest album is called AKA. And mm-hmm. it's out, you know, you're listening to a podcast, you can probably find the album, but if you search for my name, Mike Kaplan, spelled M-Y-Q-K-A-P-L-A-N, at, you know, all the places that you might search. Uh, but yeah, search for Mike Kaplan and the album, AKA. You can also listen to my podcast and all kinds of, like, I've, I've, I've made things and you can hear them and I'd be happy for you too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for talking to me. That was fun. Thank you. Uh, much right. appreciated. Have a good one. You too. See ya. Bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Rate, review, share, subscribe, baby.